your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3. Appreciated the first song that we sang very much that you probably already forgot, but it was Jesus and Jesus only. And the message of the song was that Christ would be seen uh, and nothing else in my own life and that the world would see Christ and not me. And appreciated uh, even the the prayer of Brother Caleb at the offering time, just the, the theme of Christ increasing and us decreasing. That's really where we're going this morning in John chapter 3. And I want you to look in verse 22, John chapter 3 and verse 22. The Bible says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, I must decrease." He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, and he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, And hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. I want to draw your attention mainly uh, to verses 22 down through verse 30. And specifically our main thought this morning is verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. You have heard a know of Charlie Brown and the Peanuts cartoon. In one of those Peanuts cartoons, Linus tells Charlie Brown, he says this, he says, when I get big, I'm going to be a humble little country doctor. I'll live in the city, see? And every morning, I'll get up, I'll climb into my sports car and zoom into the country. Then I'll start healing people. I'll heal people for miles around. And in the last frame of that cartoon, Linus exclaims this. He said, I'll be a world-famous, humble little country doctor. The author of those cartoons, Charles Schultz, he was poking fun at how difficult it is for us to be humble. We might start out with the goal of being a humble little whatever, but before we know it, we're into being a world-famous humble little whatever. Pride is arguably the most 
deadly and evil of all sins because it may be at the root of all the other sins. Pride was probably Satan's sin when he said, I will make myself like the Most High in Isaiah 14, 14. Pride was the bait that Satan used to tempt Eve when he set aside what God had said and he assured her that if she ate of that fruit, her eyes would be open and she would be like God. And as Christians, we need to constantly battle pride in our own life and we need to grow in humility. And if, if we think that we've obtained or attained uh, any kind of measure of humility in our life, then we need to be on guard against being proud of the humility that we've attained. If anyone could have easily fallen into the trap of pride, it would have been John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist had a ministry that nobody else could ever claim. John the Baptist had claim to the important role of being the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. No one else in human history could have that claim. John the Baptist enjoyed immediate and popular success. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Just keep your place here and just look in Matthew chapter 3. John's success and his popularity was immediate and it was growing. The Bible tells us that all of Jerusalem and all of Judea and the surrounding areas were coming out to see John in the wilderness. Matthew 3 and verse 5 says, Then went out unto him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. John was pretty, pretty popular. He was pretty famous. And even Jesus testified of John in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11 that he was the greatest man in human history. Matthew 11, 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Look at the, the, the uh, compliment, if you want to call it that that Jesus gave to John the Baptist. My point is, if anybody could have fallen into the trap of pride, it could have been John the Baptist. All of these things could have fed pride in his heart. And yet in our text this morning in John 3, we get great insight into the character of John the Baptist with the words that he spoke. John gives his disciples here, there, and we'll walk through this in just a second, but John gives his disciples and us a basic lesson in humility here. In the face of Jesus' growing popularity and his own uh, you know, growing ministry, and in the face of, of John's waning ministry, John gives us a one-liner to live by. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. And I'm saying this sums up what ought to be the motto of every Christian's life. Now, let's look at the context. Let's consider what's actually taking place here. In the story here begins by describing for us 
two thriving ministries that were really close together. Jesus' ministry and John's ministry. Look at verse 22 again. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. So the story starts out here by describing for us two ministries that are actually thriving, and they're very close together. Verse 22 tells us that after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And it was there that he tarried with them and he baptized. Now, we don't know the exact location of Jesus, but we do know that he's near the River Jordan somewhere. We also know that Jesus' ministry started in Galilee, and now he moves into John's territory, which is in the land of Judea. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus tarried with them there and baptized. Now, the word tarried, it means to rub through, it means to wear through, and it means to remain, okay? And the idea here uh, behind this meaning, it, it carries really the meaning of rubbing shoulders with. Something that is close proximity, to wear through because of, because of rubbing. And it carries the idea or the meaning of rubbing shoulders with. And what this is saying is that Jesus... Uh, was with his disciples, rubbing shoulders with them in the work, in the ministry. Jesus was actively working and discipling these 12 men. And this is a great example for us. This is a side note here, but it's a great example for us. If we have the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ, we ought to actively disciple them by getting them involved and rubbing shoulders with them together in the work. That's training men. That's what Jesus was doing. The Bible says that he came into Judea with his disciples, and there he tarried with them. They worked. They rubbed shoulders together. They were laboring in the ministry. And then the Bible says, and baptized, in verse 22. Now, if you look into verse 23, the Bible says, And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. The word baptize here, is, there's no English word for that. It's actually a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. And what a transliteration means is we made up an English word uh, to, to fit that. And it's, it's of the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip, it means to plunge. And what it does is indicate for us what the mode of baptism has always been. It's always been immersion. It's never been sprinkling. False religion, false Christianity presents and promotes uh, baptismal regeneration. And what that means is that you're saved because of baptismal waters. And, and most religion, uh, like Catholicism or, or Lutheranism, they say, oh, we believe in, in faith in Jesus Christ, and it's faith in Christ plus 
your baptism, which brings about salvation. Well, number one, that's false according to the scriptures. Number two, their mode of baptism is also wrong. You see, I've said this before, but you see paintings of, of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. And what you see in those paintings is John and Jesus standing in the Jordan River, about waist deep in water, and you see John scooping up a handful of water and pouring it over Jesus' head as the picture of baptism. And a lot of people get their ideas of what baptism is based on culture, tradition, and so on. Well, the Word of God shows us clearly that baptism is always immersion, hence John baptizing in Anon because there was much water there because of plunging, immersion. That's a side note. The point is that both ministries were thriving. People were coming and being baptized, confessing their sins, the Bible says, uh, in John's ministry. We also find that Jesus tarried with them, his disciples, and baptized. We find a little bit later on, and we'll walk through this, that the disciples of John came to John and said that Jesus, that you bore witness of, everybody's coming to him. Jesus' ministry was growing in popularity. And both ministries were thriving. Both had people coming to them. Both were baptizing Although John clarifies in chapter 4 and verse 2, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, Jesus was not actually performing those baptisms, but his disciples were. The point is, is that people were coming. Both ministries were thriving. Now look at verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Notice the word then. The word then indicates a transition to something new. So here the ministries are thriving. Both are having success and so on. Then this is a transition to something new. And John reports that a dispute or a discussion arose between John's disciples and the Jews. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Now, who were these Jews that this dispute was, was uh, against or with? Well, it's probably the same Jews of John chapter 1 and verse 19, where the Bible says and, uh, in John 1, 19, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And then we walked through that passage. But the Jews sent people uh, to go and find out who this John was. It's likely the same Jews because if you look in chapter 3 here in verse 28, Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. You bear witness. You were there when I said this. So it's probably the same Jews. But the Bible says that there was a dispute about purification. Now, the text doesn't give us any further clarification as to exactly all that was said, so we can only guess at the nature of that discussion. But it probably had to do 
with whether or not John's baptism was superior to the Jewish rites of purification. They were all about their rituals. They were all about their ceremonial cleansings and so on. And so this dispute probably was whether or not John's baptism was superior to that. But now look at verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Now, according to verse 26, it seems to indicate that this thought of all these people are coming to Jesus and he's baptizing too, just like you are. It seems to indicate that that was maybe part of the dispute that was going on between John's disciples and the Jews. Maybe it had something to do with Jesus's ministry and his following because it prompted John's disciples to come to John and say, hey, everybody's going to see Jesus. And I wonder if the Jews tried to stir up some jealousy or some animosity because it appeared that Jesus' ministry was now starting to eclipse John's ministry. And here's where we get to John's answer to all of that. And really the thesis for the message and the lesson for us today. John's disciples might have been jealous on John's behalf, because Jesus' growing ministry was starting to eclipse John's. But that set the stage for John the Baptist's reply in verse 27 down through verse 30. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. What we have here is a great lesson in humility. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. And what we learn from this and from John's perspective, is that humility of heart stems from understanding who God is and who we are. John the Baptist clearly understood God's sovereignty. He understood who Jesus was and who he himself, John, was. And because of that, John did not have an inflated view of himself. He wasn't out to build his self-esteem or to promote his own ministry or his own reputation. His aim was to exalt Jesus Christ. And he found great joy in his role of handing off the bride to the bridegroom and then getting out of the way. That was what fulfilled him. And so I want to talk this morning about how do we guard against pride that creeps into our own lives? And we'll find three things in this text. How do we guard against pride that creeps into our own lives? Number one, we're going to see, understand who God is, that God is the one who's in charge, not me. 
Number two, we're going to consider being joyful in who you are and what God has gifted you to do. Here's another way to guard against pride in our own life. And then thirdly, to seek pure or true humility, which calls attention to Christ and not to myself. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with these principles today. And Lord, that we would also examine our own life in light of the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that it would ultimately be in our heart that He must increase and I must decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that John tells us here is, number one, we have to understand who God is, that He is absolutely sovereign and He's the one who's in control. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. What a powerful thought. To guard against pride in our life, understand that God is the one who is absolutely in charge. God is the really the one who is in charge. He says a man can receive nothing except it or unless it be given him uh, from heaven. And that, that truth, that truth applies, listen, to all matters of life for you and me. Both physical and spiritual, that truth applies that we can receive nothing except it be given us from heaven. Let's just make an application here to the physical nature of things. Listen, we, we get too big in our britches and we get proud when we forget where everything comes from in the first place. You know, there, the people, people like to think I'm a self-made man. You know, and, and, and they take pride in their achievements. Like, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've created. Look at my, you know, my standing, social standing in life. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got uh, four million followers on social media. I'm a social media influencer. People take pride in their achievements in, in, in business. Look at this business that I've created. I've, I built it from nothing to whatever this is now. I have a good mind and I've advanced in my career and business. And I have strength to work hard and to earn. And they take credit for things that are not of their own making. The Bible describes somebody like that to us. In Luke chapter 16, go over there please. Keep your place. But look at Luke chapter 16. We start to get proud and we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to when we forget where everything comes from in the first place. In Luke chapter, did I say 16? I meant chapter 12 and verse 16. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, <clears throat> eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, 
This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice all the eyes in here. This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. I will say to my soul, you have many goods, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy that Jesus is using as an illustration seems to be a guy who's got a good mind to him. A guy who's worked really hard. A guy who's made for himself a lot of things. He seems to be a planner. He's planning ahead. He seems to be a schemer. Maybe he's even really good with his money and his finances. But the problem here is that there was no recognition of God in any of his plans. He said, I'll do this and I'll do that for myself. And there was no acknowledgement of God and his goodness in his life. God was not in his thoughts. He consumed his own thoughts. He made the greatest miscalculation that a mortal could ever make. He did not give the giver of all his rightful place in his life. You know what? Maybe you and I aren't rich, but we can live exactly the same way making plans for our lives, just living life according to my own desires without allowing God His rightful place as decision-maker in my life, that will bring about the exact same ruin as this man experienced. You know what verse 20 says? But God said. God always has the final word, doesn't He? Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. The word fool, it means mindless. It means stupid. I'm not making it up. It means ignorant, and it means very unwise. God said, you're unwise. You're a fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. That word required means to demand back. What does that indicate? That God owns it. God owns the soul. This night thy soul is going to be demanded back of you. And then who are those things going to be? This was God's answer to this man's godless plans. God called him a fool. He called him mindless. He called him unwise because God was not in the center of his thoughts. And notice Jesus' application to that whole story in verse 21. So is he. That's referring back to the fool. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward who? God. Listen, this applies this truth. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Here's how we guard against pride in our heart by understanding who God is, that He's the one who's really in control. If we have anything, if we have anything in this life, physically, it's only a gift from God. The ability to work, the ability to think, the ability to have the strength to get out of bed, to make plans, to, 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 you know, to advance our life, any of that and all of that, 
is only because of God and his goodness. Start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And pride begins to creep in. Look at me. I'm something. Look what I've built. Look what I've created. Look what I have. And God is not in any of the plans. You're a fool, according to Jesus. May the Lord help us, amen, to remember and to acknowledge, I can't receive anything except God first gives it to me. He's the one who gets the credit. This truth applies not only to the physical realm, but also to the spiritual when John made this statement in verse 27, you go back to our text. Man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. When John made this statement, he was referring to ministry and the relative fruitfulness of that ministry. And he's saying that his role as the forerunner was given to him by God and he needed to stay within that role. He needed to stay in his lane, put it that way. This job, this, this ministry that was given to him was given to him by God. That's where God wanted him to stay. And any popularity or any success that he enjoyed in his ministry only came from God, not because of him. And here's the application. The Apostle Paul actually applies this same principle in the New Testament church. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me here. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. The Bible says, I'll let you get there, 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start in verse 4, we'll read down through verse 12. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The Apostle Paul makes this application here. That God gives different spiritual gifts. And God gives different ministries. And God gives different things. And the result, and all of that is a result according to His perfect will. Notice that that's what this Bible says. Verse 11, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Who's the one in charge? It's God. Humility stems from recognizing that this is God's prerogative. 
as God. He can do what He wants. He gives me gifts and abilities to serve Him. He's the one that's really in charge. I bow to Him. John's saying, the ministry that I have, it was only given to me of God anyway. Any popularity or success that I might enjoy in ministry came from God. And here's the whole point of this thought. We need to have the big picture here in life, physical or spiritual. Have the big picture that God is really the one who's in charge and I have nothing to claim credit for anyway. Amen? That goes a long way to help in combating pride that works its way into my life. The second thought, go back to our text in John 3, is in verses 28 and 29. So number one, understand who God is. He's the one in charge. This helps to combat pride. Pride. The second is in verses 28 and 29, where the Bible says, Ye yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Here's the second thought. Be joyful or content in who you are and what God has given you. This helps in uh, combating pride into my life. Not with ambition to try to excel or ambition to try to take another position of status. Be joyful in who you are, how God has made you, and what He's given you to do. It's a great privilege to serve Him anyway. Look at verse 28. John reminds his disciples here that he said, I am not the Christ. Look at this. Ye yourselves bear witness, or bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but uh, that I am sent before him. John reminds his disciples that he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. Clearly, John knew that Jesus was the Christ. He was the promised Messiah. That's not my job or my role. Look at verse 29. Because in here, in in verse 29, John uses an illustration from a Jewish wedding. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Listen, John knew that Jesus was that bridegroom. And that the bride, which we could even say is the New Testament church, belongs to him. John's role was the friend of the bridegroom. Sort of like our best man in a wedding. In a Jewish wedding, the role of the friend of the bridegroom, his role was to take the bride to the bridegroom, among various other things, and then his job was to get out of the way. The focus of the wedding was not on the best man, but on the bridegroom and the bride. That's where the attention was supposed to be. And the lesson for us here is that God has gifted each of us with something to do. 
He's gifted us by His Spirit to serve in a New Testament church. And those gifts are to be used specifically for Him and not for ourselves. You know what? Your role is different than my role. My role is different than the next person's role. And you're all different to some degree. We all have a role, but we should all be content and joyful in what God has given to us. And listen, our focus and our attention will be and should be on Him. Not what reputation I have or what authority I have or how it draws attention to myself. But God has gifted me for a particular role and a particular reason to be used for Him. And then my job is to do it and then get out of the way so that Christ is exalted. Listen, all I'm saying is when my focus is on Him, my attitude is going to be this. I am so grateful to serve the Lord in any capacity at all because I'm so unworthy to even loose his shoes that he would allow me the great privilege to serve him. This is, this is, this is, what, this is what so many are missing in Christianity today. A vision of God and God alone. And the clearer our vision of His majesty and His greatness and His power and His glory, the more we will be humbled in His presence. Like Isaiah, who had such an exalted view of God when he saw Him high and lifted up and holy that He bowed Himself in the dust before the Lord. One writer said this, man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. You realize how little you are in his holy presence. We've got nothing to glory in. The recognition that God has given me something to serve Him with, but I am so unworthy of that. And find joy in fulfilling my role that God has given me. That recognition helps to combat pride. And we realize how grateful we ought to be to serve Him. And that's going to produce joy. Notice the last part of verse 29. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. John said, John the Baptist said, This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled, that I get to do what God has given me to do. That word fulfilled, it means to satisfy, but it carries the meaning of cramming in so much that it's about to burst. John said, I couldn't be any happier 
There's so much joy in fulfilling what, what God has given me to do because I'm not worthy anyway to unloose his shoes and anything I have is given from the Lord. And when I see him exalted, my joy is just crammed in, overflowing like it's going to burst. I couldn't be any happier when he's the one who gets the attention. Nothing brought more satisfaction to John than seeing Christ exalted. And let me make this application and we'll move on. Everybody has a job to do. And all work for Christ is significant. But only one is preeminent. Everybody's work is significant. But there should only be one who's preeminent. In John chapter 1, Jesus was described for us as the Word. John the Baptist was described as the voice. Right? Now, Jesus is described as the groom. John's described as the best man. His job was to prepare the way, but then get out of the way. And his joy came from being obedient, not from getting recognition. Let me say that again. When it comes to areas of service, I'm almost done. Stay awake. I'm losing some of you. When it comes to areas of service, his joy came from being obedient, not from getting recognition for what he was doing. How often is that the case? We don't find fulfillment unless somebody recognizes that I put so much effort into this. Can't you see how hard I work at this? Why don't people appreciate what I do? Are you with me? Our joy should come from being obedient, not from getting recognition. The third and the final thought is in verse 30. John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Here is seeking true or pure humility. And what is that? It's, it's that which calls attention to Christ and not to self. John says he must increase, I must decrease. We get great insight here into John the Baptist's character. And John probably throws some real cold water on his inflamed and competitive disciples who came and said, ah, Jesus, he's baptizing and everybody's coming to him. John simply says, he must increase and I must decrease. The word increase it means to grow. It means to enlarge. So Jesus needs to grow. Jesus needs to be enlarged. The word decrease means to lessen in rank or influence. Wow, put it, think about that. John says, I need to lessen in my influence, but he needs to be enlarged in his. One writer said this, for it is natural to envy the growing reputation of others and to be jealous when it seems likely to trench upon our own. We speak and justly of this as littleness of mind, but it belongs to most, if not all. And he wins a fine triumph who can be contented, provided that the cause of God be advanced. 
in God's service by its very nature, God's glory and not personal distinction and aggrandizement is the thing aimed at. And there is therefore ground for expecting, if this end is reached, that there will be gladness in all Christians, whoever may be the honored agent, alas, but for the infirmity of our human nature. The idea behind it here is that it's natural in our human flesh to become jealous of those who might be trenching upon our own reputation. That's our fleshly tendency. But the spiritual man in the service of the Lord, by the very nature of service to the Lord, when, when, when God is exalted and there's no personal distinction or aggrandizement that comes from it, my aim is to exalt the Lord. And so when that happens, I'm full of joy because the goal is reached. What I'm saying is humility calls attention to Christ, not to self. Jesus must become greater and greater while we must become less and less. I'll finish with this. There's an old English Puritan pastor. He was born in 1615. He lived about 80 years or so. But on his deathbed, he said this. Because somebody was remembering the good which many had received by his preaching and by his writings and by his ministry. And as this man died, he said this. He said, I was but a pen in God's hand. And what praise is due to a pen? What a great attitude of exalting Christ. That's an important lesson to keep in mind at all times. All my gifts all my abilities, my opportunities, they come from God and His grace and Him alone. Everything. Do I have a sound mind? I think I do. That came from God. Who wants me to use it for His purposes and His glory? Do I have money? Maybe not much, but what I have came from God. He wants me to use it for his purposes and his glory. Do I have a ministry or a place of service? Yes. That too came from God who wants me to use it for his glory. We sing the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The words are this, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. He must increase. I must decrease. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word in our hearts today. How you may have spoken to hearts, I don't know. 
But Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of humility here today in the presence of the Lord. Some self-examination, maybe of the motives of the heart. And Lord, that there would be humble confession where it's necessary that your will would be done, that you may be exalted in every life. In Jesus' name, amen.